Welcome to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm Alexandria. And I'm Jasleen. We're here to disrupt the tech industry by connecting diverse job seekers with inclusive organizations where talent from communities that are underrepresented can thrive. Whether you're a job seeker who belongs to an underrepresented group, a tech employer interested in learning how to attract diverse talent, or a diversity, equity, and inclusion champion looking for resources, we have got you covered. Here's to disrupting. Okay, we are now live. I am so excited for this panel. We have such knowledge and experience here. I'm super excited to go through these questions and have some really good conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, We're going to start with real quick introductions so everybody can talk about who they are. Jasleen, would you like to go first for us? Yeah, so I'm Jasleen. I'm a career coach and I coach women who are mostly in male-dominated spaces like tech, um, who are underrepresented, overworked, um, sometimes overlooked, and really trying to get clarity on their ideal next steps in their career, but really bringing an intersectional lens to that and looking at all of the systemic factors that are at play that make it even harder for us as women to progress. And I, I do that through my company, Dialogue. And so, yeah, so just... That's me. Thanks. Coley, you want to go next for us? Sure. My name is Coley Camerson. I am currently a program manager at Carrollwise Colorado, uh, where we focus on youth apprenticeship. So really disrupting the status quo, um, options multiplier for students, looking at ways to answer uh the hiring kind of pipeline questions people have uh, with um a youth focus. Perfect. Dr. Carrion. Hi, everybody. You'd think by now everyone would know when to unmute themselves, right? As soon as <laughs> you call it up. So hi, everybody. Thank you for having me in this space. My name is Dr. Carrion Peart. Um, I will play the role today of coach consultant. I have a consulting business called Peart Consulting and pretty much working with individuals who deal with the intersections of things similar to Jasmine, but given the um, myriad of identities, such as myself, I you know, am an immigrant uh, from the Caribbean and having to navigate the US context as an immigrant, a woman of color, a perceived black woman, all the labels that we love to inject or impose on people. I work with individuals in the workspace um, with teams and leaders to help navigate and um, look at the assets that our intersections bring for a, for a more uplifting and safe work environment. So that's the work I do. Perfect, thank you. Natalie? Sure, great to be here. I'm Natalie Levy, the founder and managing partner of She's Independent Investments. We are a women first angel group and really focused on power dynamics, access, skill development for uh, a focus for women identifying, but anyone's welcome. And, you know, Jasleen mentioned she works with a lot of these women that are in male dominated fields. And that was me my whole life. And now I'm coming back into finance on my own terms and really excited to be here. Excited to have you. Mary? Yeah, I'm Mary. I'm a VP of engineering at a startup, uh, a software startup in Denver. Um, been doing work in the DEI space, uh, more like volunteer work within companies in the DEI space for for years. Um, really excited to sort of like, really excited about DEI, really excited about like how we create diverse, equitable, inclusive environments um, and always trying to, of course, hire as much on diverse teams as possible. All right, so setting the intention for today, I would really love for this to be conversational. Uh, We have some framework questions that we hope you all think are valuable and we will see where this conversation goes because it could go some very interesting places. Uh, I'm gonna steal Mary's question because it was one that I thought was super, super powerful to go ahead and get started. Uh, So what does everyone think that is being ignored in the DEI space that shouldn't be? Anybody want to jump in first? Yeah, I can jump in. So I feel like 
maybe it's not what's being ignored, but it's DEI often at organizations gets treated like a check in the box, box exercise where you end up just looking at surface level stuff, surface level metrics. And so I feel like a lot of that is looking at the entire system, auditing the entire system. Um, even in my own practice, I've stopped using the word training because I've found for a lot of people that word can be triggering mm -hmm. because a lot of underrepresented groups end up getting re-traumatized by being participants in this training. And so it's really having organizations get uncomfortable, get vulnerable and recognize that we all have biases. And so if we're really trying to standpoint theory, I kind of draw from that, we're never going to know that of another underrepresented group, even as an underrepresented group, we're not a monolith. And so it's not about like having this broad brush, you know, painting for what diversity and inclusion looks like. It's about having the agility to understand what's happening on a deeper level, the messaging that people are getting like throughout the process and how we're just creating psychological safety and a safe space for people to get it wrong and to and to be able to go deeper and and not put all the onus on the underrepresented groups because often we see that that's how especially so women we're already higher risk for burning out and so if you're also an underrepresented group you are even at a higher risk because often you're leading these ergs at the company you are the one who's being sent out to recruit, right, for the organization, being like the poster model minority at the organization. And so it is so deep. And so I think even Alexandria, we were talking about, you know, scorecard for when, you know, for launching the disruptors and truly having the organizations that are posting with us to be walking the talk. It can't be performative anymore. It can't be performative because we've been doing the same things for years, like I started my career in HR over 15 years ago, and I'm seeing the same behaviors, the same mindsets. Um, and I think for the biggest thing for anyone who's watching this, who is a leader, I think the biggest thing, which was also a game changer for me as a woman of color, is to stop trying to separate yourself from the racist. Stop trying to separate yourself from those organizations over there who don't value diversity and inclusion instead start looking at where you have similarities like where are you actually and because like even for me as a woman of color me having that mindset helped me start understanding where my internalized racism was where mm -hmm. i wasn't walking the talk where i was maybe aligning myself to systems of power instead of really understanding what oppression looks like for other people because i still have a level of privilege and mm -hmm. so um yeah so i think that's what it is i think the biggest missed opportunity and it can seem overwhelming when we look at it that way but it starts with you it starts with your journey as an individual and and the rest will come and then you start to see the whole system through that lens so yeah that's my answer yeah anybody have their own answer or response to jasmine I'll, I'll jump in on this. I love that Jasmine opened up that way. So I just got off of two nights of hosting a summit around the disillusion in this space of DEI. And a lot of folks think it's a them issue, right? And really it's a me, a I issue. So I love the fact that Jasmine was saying that it really starts with the accountability, self-accountability, introspection is a key thing. And personally, as a psychologist, you know, doing the work, right? That's the phrase. So it starts there and it continues there because you have to recognize in the realm of DEI and all its many forms and fashions that it's always from the individual doing personal work and being gracious to allow other people to do their personal work simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And for what whatever comes up, holding those spaces, holding those moments to navigate accordingly. Because what a lot of people think DEI is, it's this whole issue of, um, you know, focusing on Black people. And I'm so tripped up by this because 
it's so much more than the race issue, but I get the social conditioning here in America that it's always mm -hmm. default to race. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a huge, huge error, mistake, um, injustice, I think, in, when we really want to do DEI authentically and critically because we miss the levels of marginalization and oppression that are happening to every single person, white women included, white men included, mm -hmm. right? And people ignore that. And those are facts and realities that we need to come to terms with and stop this whole them versus us thing. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a spectrum of work that needs to be done. It is not an HR function. Alexandra, you and I were talking about that before. It is not an HR function. It never will be no. an HR function. It's an organizational culture and design component and element. Um, so I think those are some of the things for me that really come up. It starts with self and continues with self. Mm -hmm. right? And to be, to, to honor that scope of work and breadth of the work that it really en encompasses. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, I, I just wanted to chime in. I love what you both have said so far. And I think that understanding that it starts with the individual and no one can advocate for you like you can advocate for yourself. And, you know, when it comes to what happens when you get into the role, right? Of course, there are these initiatives to hire and, and but then what happens, right? You step into a culture, you step into bad management, you step into something that is unfriendly. How do we make that individual step into power, their power, real ownership, real equity? And, you know, I do think that it's, there, there's training, there's skill development that goes into that. Guess what? Nobody's born a negotiator. And I'll tell you that because I'm an expert negotiator. And people think that. Sure. You know, I've had a lot of practice, but there are data-driven studies that say you can learn these skills to ask for more and to navigate the uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. so if we get the individual to recognize, wow, you can advocate for yourself and this is how to do it. Hopefully when they land and they get the role, they feel like they're a part of it and they're not just checking a box in a seat, you know, with, without ownership. So I, I think of it from the kind of the investor side. Well, and I think that ownership and the personal advocacy like is huge. And if you don't come from a community or a culture or a family, even very specifically in which you're ever taught those things, then you have no idea it's even an option. So the internet is a beautiful thing. And there's panels like this to where people are hopefully maybe hearing that they do have that option and that permission to advocate for self. And that's one of our other questions. So I want to touch that one next, but I want to hear from Coley and Mary, if you have any thoughts on what's being ignored in the DEI space and shouldn't be. I think I'm seeing a theme here that, that I also agree with, uh, which is, uh, and I'm, this might be a more obvious one, but I see that a lot of things that gets ignored is, is as a person who does a lot of hiring, people focus on diverse hiring, but then forget about inclusivity and equity um, once you get in the door. Um, and so, like as Natalie said, things like making sure that people know how to advocate for themselves and like helping them advocate for themselves when they get in the door. Um, as Carrie was saying, like it's 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 working on self. It's a lot of little things. It's like a lot of different things that you're doing. Um, and it's like showing up every day and like thinking about the little things and the big things every day, pay equity, pay transparency, um, observation, like having a mother's room, having like observation of holidays, like there's all sorts of little things that go into it. And I feel like people sort of forget to do the hard work after the easy part. Well, the easy part that's still hard, which is getting to first folks in the door. Uh, plus one to what everyone has said. Um, I think that there is a lot to speak about the nuance of intersectionality and how we apply that to our work. Um, I'm an implementation person, and I think one of the biggest um, things people ignore is they build out these super equitable programs, but then they um, forget about who has access to them. Right. Um, if we are not creating accessibility um, to historically excluded groups within our programming and how we're designed and recruiting and retaining those individuals, um, I just think that's a it's a whole right there. There's a there's a lot to be missed when we don't think about access, accessibility as we're building out programs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100 percent doesn't do you much good to have a program that nobody can participate in. <laughs> So then jumping into that question uh, about advocating for self. So how can leaders help facilitate people learning how to advocate for self 
whether it's teaching, opening the doors, like what does that look like and mean? And what level of responsibility do leaders have in their organizations to help people? Yeah, for me, it's for leaders, stop telling people who they are and start asking them. So it starts up with the open-ended questions. And if your leader is not doing this for you, working with a coach, really getting more open-ended instead of, because I see a lot of, in my career coaching practice, people come to me saying, well, they want me to go into this role or, um, you know, I've been told that I'm not fit for this role. I don't have leadership presence. We all know what that means. We won't go down that rabbit hole. But, um, but yeah, so really understanding yourself as, as an individual, your innate strengths, who you really are beyond whatever identity that you're carrying into the workplace. And so your identity, a part of that is your authentic self and understanding your strengths, understanding your passions, how that plays into the organization, but really setting boundaries around the work you're taking and not taking. Um, and the more clear we get on our value, the more we can advocate for ourselves. But for leaders, my biggest advice is stop telling people who they are, start asking them, start letting them show. Yes, Natalie, go ahead. Well, I think it's so interesting because, you know, what is a company's function, right? Their, their function is they have some focus, they have some product, but if they're trying to do all the things, I will tell you, they're probably not doing them all well. And some of the best and biggest, you know, tech companies out there, they're giving their employees budget learning and development budget. And I think there's so much that time and place for work with an external coach or work to get this additional education, because guess what? It's great to have a mentorship program at work. It's great to you know find the sponsorship, but yeah. can you really show up authentically? Can you have the real conversations? Can you get the real, real feedback? Yeah. And as a woman of color, I just want to speak to that. Yeah. I feel like you're raised like first generation immigrant, you know, coming from immigrant family, you're raised in a way to say, don't show weakness. You're strong. You got this. You're going into this. Like for a lot of us, we're going into the corporate world. First one in our family. And so we don't understand the invisible rules. We don't understand how the system's going to be beating us down. So it's really about like giving ourselves permission to ask for help but also knowing who the safe people are to ask for help from, because that's another place where I feel like, um, I mean, this applies to everyone, but especially underrepresented groups where we've asked for help before and it wasn't a safe space. So sometimes that does get it used against it. So it also comes from a place of, of wisdom of saying, no, no one else is going to be able to help me because I need to navigate the system on my own because no one gets it from my point of view. And, and real quick, I just, to add one more thing why I love the external, meaning you're working with outside consultant agency. If a company says, oh, we want to right size, you know, compensation or whatever, are they going to teach you the skills and are you going to learn the same skills if they give you the raise? You're not. And you're not going to get as big of a raise as if you did it and you said, well, these are the things I need and I'm leaving if not. And so the external support and that, you know, education or, or just that ability to operate, you know, like the authentic self show up and, and, and be in the, the place of risk. Yeah. You can't learn that. I don't yeah. think within the walls of the company. This one, this one is an interesting one. Cause when you say the, you know, saying I, this, I'm going to, this is what I'm worth or I'm going to leave. Studies show that that works for men and it backfires on women. And it depends on the strategy you use. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So, so for leaders, it's recognizing when we have a double standard and when yeah. we're not walking the talk, cause this happens so often where the man says, this is what I'm worth or I'm walking. They get it where, where the woman is seen as, you know, not a team player if she does right. that. And so so. To, to get that coaching, but to get that support to say, how can you do it? No matter what you yeah. look like, no matter the imposed exactly. way that the, the you know, they're going to treat you. And what I, what I have to say, and I just, I want to state this because I think it's so fascinating. The thing I'm most excited about when it comes to negotiation coaching it's not when the individual says, I made 30 or 40% more year over year, which is fantastic. They say, I learn new skills. I'm more confident in myself. And the way that my manager and the executive team looks at me, I've elevated myself. And that is the thing. It's not just the money, right? It's how do you show up and wow, you now have a path for something bigger. Yeah, and you it's not skills. just the money. It's, it's yeah. about how the organization is valuing you as a human who's working there. I agree. So I'd like to hear from 
Coley or Dr. Carrie Ann or Mary, you have any thoughts on the conversation? Y yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, a lot of thoughts. Two things come to mind first. Um, this definition of leader, mm -hmm. right? I challenge people a lot to, to think about what the definition of a leader actually is because I argue to say that what we find is that we have senior, senior managers being called leaders. Mm -hmm. And I say that because a leader is someone, when you look globally throughout history, leaders are people who are influential. They hold sincere space for others. They coach others. They inspire um, others. They're visionaries, right? They're not the ones who are task drivers. And that's what we're seeing a lot of in many, at least many of the workspaces I've navigated in my time here, you know, these past 20 years living in the US um, and what I recognize my colleagues navigate, that we have these folks in these leadership roles, but it's just another manager. They're really just another manager. You're calling yourself CEO or director of this or VP of that. And you're really just another manager. And when we talk about advocating for self, to Jesseline's point, you know, this whole thing of depending on the kind of family structure or cultural dynamic you're coming from, your self-advocacy can only go so far because of the way that you have been conditioned to respect a, per, a particular level or role or, or perceived identity. They put it that way, right? Um, so a lot comes up with leadership. And I know a lot of people are like, well, how dare you say I'm not a leader? But think about it. Are you every day in your role, role influencing your employees and staff? Are they inspired by you, right? Is your organization an organization that, that holds vision, not for just your senior executives, but holds vision for everybody, even the security guard? Like, be critical about this. Right. And I think that, that what's happening or what, you know, has really shifted in many spaces is that now leaders are being held to a certain level of accountability to move into more of a coaching framework. Mm -hmm. Employees and staff want their leaders to be a lot more integrated and activated on a daily basis to inspire and coach them mm -hmm. in roles and, and, and different things. So there's a lot to be said there. Um, there was a second point I had around the ways in which we also define professionalism. Mm. Whose definition are we using for professionalism in order to then be able to negotiate in a particular way? Mm -hmm. That's another thing that, that, that comes up for me because you know, in many, in many settings, again, I wasn't considered professional. I have curly hair, which is my hair, right? I have this particular skin tone. I may sound the way I sound and that kind of thing. And for some people, she's not professional enough. Or for others, oh, this is a beautiful representation of diverse professionalism. Mm -hmm. And depending on how I have been viewed and received, my ability to negotiate can waver, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's, it's paying attention to what are the standards we're playing with and who upholds those standards, whether leader, or professionalism, just those two right now, um, and how we are then able to advocate and navigate accordingly for our own success. And sometimes it is, like Jasleen said, you know, deuces, I'm out <laughs> because I can, and for my own safety, right? So those are things that come up immediately for me in a debate, yeah. Yeah, Chloe? I think about uh, what you just said, Dr. Carrie-Ann, about professionalism. This is something that I help students navigate all of the time, right? This kind of self-advocacy, this idea of students, um, specifically from historically excluded groups, operating in spaces that were not meant for them, operating with people who are not, don't have the full competency to understand their background and what that looks like for them. And the idea of professionalism and how on one side, I want to say, like, be you, 
go out there, be bold, don't like it doesn't matter, but also wanting to equip them to operate and be successful um, in a system as it is now. And so I, it's such a, like, I feel like I'm always walking a tightrope um, with it, with how to support that. And, and I think that your point to that really just shows, like, there's so much nuance in, in how we deal with these things. I, I strongly agree with that, Coley, of, the, of knowing, knowing, like, what you want to coach them to do and, like, what the reality of the situation is. Um, there's so many, there's so many times when I have, uh, given advice to, um, other women in tech where I'm like, okay, my advice, I just want to caveat this. I hate that I'm giving you this advice. Like, this is not how it should be. Um, this is like, and I would not, you know, fault you if you decide to ignore this advice for these reasons. Um, given the situation you're in, here's what I would do. Here's the pros and cons that the effect it'll have on you as a person, the, the effect it'll have on your career, et cetera. So, definitely strongly agree that like there's there's that question of like what am I what is the advice that I'm giving you or how am I helping you and then like how is that separate from where I think the world should be mm -hmm. um one other thing I wanted to mention as like a leader in a specific organization is I will often give people sort of like tips and tricks within the organization of like oh if you want uh you, or like if you're trying to negotiate for a raise I don't know if you know this but every manager has your salary band and they can give it to you and if you feel uncomfortable telling them I will go track it down and find it for you um so there's like a little bit of like sort of tips and tricks within an organization that you can do as a leader of like trying to help people navigate the organization, helping them understand the different players involved. Um, and that's just something that I think that like every leader has a responsibility to do. And um, it's just a little bit more specific to each organization. Yeah. I love everything that everybody said. And I think the thing that I want to highlight is the tightrope that you talked about, Coley. And how growth really happens in the outskirts of comfort zones. And so it is very much that balancing act of, okay, I want things to change and things need to be different. And here's the, the rules right now today. How can I push them? How can I come up all the way to that line and then lean over just enough to cause discomfort and conversations and change, mm -hmm. but not completely derail my intention or what I need or what is in this moment right now? Yeah. For me, and I, I love that because we're on a call for the disruptors, but I've coined this term called mindful disruption because mm -hmm. there's never a right or wrong way. It's, it's what is going to be worth your energy. So what are you giving away and what are you going to get back from it? Because there are times when we're walking that line where there are, there are parts that are really just core to who we are as people and if we are consistently doing like sacrificing that authenticity and i know i did this in my career and so i i did burn out and looking back i'm like wow i was really just sacrificing my values for the bottom line or whatever it might be in a way that wasn't inclusive that wasn't tied to my values and now i'm just understanding that piece I know how to mindfully disrupt. And that's something I really love, especially for women who are on a track to becoming leaders. You're going to, if you're going to be the first in some of those rooms, like many women are in tech, you have, this is a, a new skill set that you have to learn that the men in the room did not have to. Mindful disruption is not easy. It's, you can't just come in, you know, I hate that all metaphors are so violent, but guns are blazing. Like you can't just come in with like, uh, I can't think of a better metaphor, but yeah, you can't come in like just ready to like tear down the patriarch all the time because then you get that label. And so I think that's, you know, just taking the essence of what everyone said. It's like, it's just being a disruptor, but in a mindful way, in an authentic way so that you're maintaining your integrity, your authenticity and not burning out at the same time because you not all battles are for you. You can't fight all of them. You can't run all the ERGs. You can't do everything. So that's true. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to briefly mention this is a mistake I make all the time. Um, I'm getting better at it, getting better at it year after year, but I've definitely made a lot of missteps in my career by trying to like go too hard too fast or or just point out too many issues. It's like obviously we should fix this because it's clearly a problem. Like what's going on? But there's a what would I describe it as? I feel like a lot of what I do, maybe this is a little too spicy. A lot of what I do is like make DEI palatable to white people um, is like just talking about it in a way that like 
people in positions of power historically can like understand and and like can understand and, and grok a little bit better than um than the way i've done it in the past yeah and and that's the reality of it for some people we are having to make it palatable mm -hmm. and i feel like if you are a mindful disruptor either as an individual contributing role or as a leader uh, this is my biggest piece of advice is find their biggest level of dissatisfaction where is their true pain point start from there and then start working them toward okay where's the dei lens on this you contract with them you partner with them you set up the stage to be solving the problem from their view but their level of awareness of the problem is here and so you're just trying to expand their level of awareness but you have to start where they are this is why i say it's like a whole skill set on its own mindful disruption so well also acknowledging how exhausting that is for the person attempting to do it and that you don't always have to and it's not your burden to hold even if there are plenty of people who are putting it on you uh, choosing if you want to pick it up or not, I think is something that I, I work with clients on too. Like, is this a battle you want to fight? Is this a hill you want to die on? Is this worth your time, energy, and thought? Because sometimes the answer might be no, and that's okay. It, it, one more just quick thought, and I, I love that Jasmine actually said this when I was thinking it, which is you have to meet them where they are. And, you know, to Mary's point of, okay, well, maybe some of these people have never had the exposure, the experience, and, you know, how do we educate them? But I think there's something so massive. If we ignore the fact that you look at the leadership, the executive teams, and I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them haven't had the training, haven't had the experiences. And so how are we educating them? And how are we basically getting this to a point of it's not the box? It's not just the box. Yeah. It's transformational change. And yes, the, the organizations themselves, the executive teams, right? These people need to change, but it's not like they're all getting pushed out. So how are we going to that white man or, you know, whoever it is and saying, oh, and this is the appropriate way to act. And this is how to do better. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if it's just the women or just, you know, the, the people of diverse backgrounds talking, how much is going to change? It's true, which is actually a perfect segue into my next question. So the framing I use a lot, and I think all of you know, is I foresee this problem being both a top-down problem and a bottom-up problem. And there's different problems on both sides of this, but it's a chasm that needs to be filled in this moment. And there are a whole bunch of dominoes that all need to be pushed over. And unfortunately, there isn't just one that we can push. But if there was one domino that you could push to knock down a bunch of them, what would be your solution that you would implement? I'll jump in. Um, what rolls to mind is starting doing a simultaneous approach, mm -hmm. you know, the top and the bottom. Um, and then sometimes the left and right, because there are guardrails for some of these organizations. We just don't talk about them. Mm -hmm. There are some players on the outside that keep things in that status frame. Mm -hmm. um, and igniting the transformation, north, south, east, and west, in that disruptive way. Because there is a disruptive methodology approach that I love to use. And having people recognize where they are in the umbrella or the spectrum or the bubble for some people of DEI, right? Because like I said earlier, a lot of people still have this thing of it's it's part of the Black Lives Movement thing. It's it's them versus us. And it's always that, right? It's it's the versus thing that gets me. I'm like, when did this become a, a competition? Um, and I know for working with the clients that I have uh, where I am now, it's having them recognize that you are a part of this. You've always been a part of this. It's just your conditioning that has led you to believe you are separate and apart, right? So even talking to like, I will just take the classic frame of our heterosexual white men, love working with them because it's like, okay, great, wonderful. Give me all the identifiers or characteristics of you. Those are all diverse aspects of you, sir. <laughs> you fit into DEI. It's a reality for you. It may not be in your consciousness, but it is actually part of your reality. And you just navigate it in a very different way from someone who is from India, heterosexual and male, right? 
So I think both, you know, all those sides, it's having to work with them and creating the inspiration for their own internal transformation and recognition of where they are along the spectrum to then move to that level of accountability and inspiring of others and holding space for others. So that's why I say, you know, it starts with the self um, and then moving outward. And I know, I know, I know, because I work with them, that leaders are extremely resistant. Like, I don't need to be fixed. It's not necessarily fixing. It's helping you to be more equipped, right? More in intellectually and intelligently, culturally and emotionally sound mm -hmm. in the ways that you navigate for yourself as well as the ways you navigate for others. So for me, it's that kind of Rubik's Cube approach. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Other thoughts? So I, I struggled with answering this question because I'm like, oh, one domino. Because it is a systemic issue. And mm -hmm. so when it's a systemic issue, it, it, it seems like it's minimizing to just pick one thing. But if you're going to make me, I would pick... <laughs> I would pick having every leader at the organization starting from the top down find their why in terms of DEI. And I feel like that's similar to what Dr. Kariana is saying, because it's like about starting with them. But you can't just be doing DEI for the sake of doing DEI. You can't just be do doing DEI to win the war on talent. Like it has to be really meaningful for you. It has to be about your journey, right? And looking at racism as a spectrum, looking at misogyny as a spectrum and where you are on that spectrum, because we all have room for growth. And even when we think we don't, it, it just continues to expand because you can never know everything. And so I think really finding your why, because when you do that, it not just makes you a better DEI leader. It doesn't just make, um, you know, looking at the whole system easier it makes you better overall as a as a human being that's personal growth is about not staying stuck in your current mindset and and especially in the tech industry because in the tech industry we need to be innovative we need to be foreseeing what's coming down the road and being like really strategic thinkers and if we're stuck in our old mindsets and we're just looking at things as they are we're not gonna we're not gonna win our companies are not gonna win in this highly volatile challenging diverse space and so it's finding your why. Why are you doing this? Are you doing it as a response to Black Lives Matter? Are you doing it as a, a knee-jerk reaction to Me Too and, and things that have been happening in your organization? That can't be your why. Your why needs to be deeper than that. It needs to be more meaningful. It needs to be inspiring to you first. Because if it's not inspiring to you, you're not, you're not going to create any change in the organization. Natalie. Yeah. Love everything that, that's been said. You know, I think it's so important. I love all the directions. I love what, what Dr. Karian is saying about, you know, the top, the bottom, the sides. I think you have to look at everything. You have to look at the system. But if it is a, oh, we're going to give it to HR or, you know, L&D, we're going to give it to the people team. You know what you've just done? You're not taking accountability and it's not actually going to permeate the culture. Because if the top, let's say the CEO or, you know, the, the people that are really operating and the ones that are in charge of all the other leaders or managers, I'm sorry, I love that distinction. Um, nothing's going to change. Mm -hmm. And so the organizations where I see the women and the diverse, you know, talent saying, oh yeah, we actually love it here. It's because your CEO actually cares. And to Jasleen's point of what's your why, what's your why around DI? How do we make you feel vulnerable or, or, teach you some EQ, some, you know, ways to show up for others and actually care, that's a game changer. And there's so much you need to do throughout the organization. But I, I truly believe, right, if it's the middle managers or a department that's siloed, just it's dead in the water. Can I just say one thing? I know I've taken up some time, but it, it just reminded me of the most inclusive leader I'd ever worked with. Um, in my time at Shell, he was a white man from California. And uh, really what resonates for me, he he's the one who shared this quote with me, which is one of my favorite, most favorite quotes of all time by Maya Angelou. 
people will forget what you did. They'll forget what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And so for me, that's always been sort of the, the signature strength of an inclusive leader is understanding how your presence, how your impact is trickling down throughout the organization. And so I don't know if there's any leaders that are out there watching this, like that is really, think about that. Not just the deliverables, how are people feeling and what feelings are you trying to evoke to create a culture of inclusion and to inspire people to be the best employees that will beat any competitor in your way? 100%, yeah. Colleen? I think that it's so important what you all have said, because if you are thinking about a leader and a leadership team and an organization, building their competencies around that, then that's going to inspire everyone to build their competencies around that. That's going to inspire um, realistic conversations. That's going to inspire radical change within people to feel empowered to um, talk about microaggressions or other things that are happening internally in an org because they know it's a safe space to do so. And so I think that that, that idea of not just leadership, but everybody building up their competencies around DEI, doing that own self-growth work um, is how you inspire radical change. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually did not have a good answer to this. It felt like a very overwhelming question. Um, and I feel like listening to all of you, I've just stolen this answer from you, which is um, it's about getting people in power to, to do the work. Um, it's about getting people in, in, in strategic positions of power to be like doing the work that they need to do to make all the systemic change happen. Um, maybe that's the domino, which I stole from several of you just now. <laughs> Yeah, I think the overwhelming response there was definitely like the starting with self, but then getting those in power to change the system. And I think that that is exactly what needs to happen. And there's lots of dominoes that can be pushed on for how we do that. And being able to take that individual responsibility of, okay, here's how I am teaching self. Here's how I'm learning. Here's how I'm growing and being that vulnerable voice in the growth piece and then you you drop right the rock in the water and it ripples out and it can have long lasting effects on everybody around you. So I think all of those, yeah, 100%, I agree with all of you. And yes, I asked a hard question. I don't even think I could answer that question very well because I don't pick favorites. It's personal flaw of mine, I think. But <laughs> uh, so in our last 15-ish minutes, I would love to hear from all of you what your favorite DEI tool is and why. And that can be um, a book or podcast or into like tech tool, anything that comes to mind that can help people on their DEI journey. What would that be? Oh, again, just one tool. There, there, you know, I, I follow a lot of creators on TikTok who around this. One that I really love is Portia Noir. She helped me. I, I kind of felt like I was getting stuck in a place where I wasn't uncovering my blind spots. I followed her for a while. She really helped me kind of do some more work. Um, I'm in Canada, so we also... Um, have our Indigenous community up here that I really like to connect with and understand more and more in terms of like specific issues that are going on in those communities. So I, I guess I don't really have one tool other than use what's at your disposal to hear the issues firsthand from different groups. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a leader and you don't really understand what the issues are and you're asking people and they're saying, oh yeah, everything's fine. Dig deeper because it could be that you don't have psychological safety. And so one place to start learning about this could be going to TikTok and listening to creators who are talking about these things or reading a book on it. I'm reading Inclusion Revolution right now. And so Mary, to your point, like making things palatable for for white people, I feel Inclusion Revolution does that without taking away because we we want to make it palatable, but we don't want to remove accountability. And so I feel like that it's a really practical tool for leaders. 
Um, and then for, for, for individual contributors or people who are wanting to advance to leadership or advance their career in general, I think it's really just working with a coach who can help you see the system, help you see the blind spot and blind spots and not get into that imposter syndrome, not get into the, the system telling you who you are, really creating, managing your own career. So that's not really a tech tool, but you you can find online coaches. And so, so in a way it is accessing tech that way. Well, as somebody who is also obsessed with TikTok, I support your choice. Coley, <laughs> yeah. what about you? Didn't I meet myself? Um, I, we have worked with a consulting agency, uh, Promise 54. I really love them because they provide a survey. And so from that you have, um, Quantitative data through focus groups of qualitative data. And I think data tells a really full and robust story um, and a really honest story, right? So there's some uncomfortableness as you dig through that data, but um, I think it has provided a lot of growth opportunities. And um, yeah, I just, I just, I think it's been a really useful tool working with them. Okay. I want to echo what Coley just said because it's literally exactly what I was going to say is I love data. Uh, data is a really great tool because as Coley said, it it, it creates, it, it shows some uncomfortable truths and it's it's really hard to sort of edge around or, or get around or sort of like sneak your way out of. Um, and it, 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 I know, I know people say data doesn't lie. I mean, if you're a good statistician, you can make data lie, but like, <laughs> but, um, but generally the goal is that data doesn't lie. Um, and it's a good way to spot problems in your organization, a good way to spot trends. Um, it's definitely my, my favorite go-to tool when I'm talking to leadership teams about DEI, because leadership teams also love data. Um, and so it's like one of the ways that I can like make DEI like approachable and like frame it in a way that that folks on leadership teams are already familiar with. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So I'm an engineer by background. I love data. And there's the the quantitative, meaning it's already data that you're like, okay, we can action this or we can think about it. But then there's the qualitative and there's, are we measuring? Are we testing? Are we Are we meeting the organization, the people where they are? And I think just being on this panel, you know, connecting with you, you brilliant minds, plugging in and saying, okay, well, what's happening now? And can I educate myself? Can we find more? Can we, can we make it better? Can we improve the way that we think or that we operate? You know, I think there's something incredible about not just sassifying or, you know, making it tech. I do think there's a lot of um, people now playing in tech to try to say, how do we solve this thing? But more and more, you know, guess what? People matter. And, tech can only emulate or, or do so much, right? And so I, I think that there's um, there are tools and there are there are companies really trying to unlock the thing. Um, and, I, and I'm even investor in some, you know, that, that do some interesting things. But I think what we're talking about, it's so big. <laughs> it, it's so um, transformational, right? I don't think it's like a tool can be like, yeah, and here's the data and this is what you do. I really think it's it's bigger than that. And it's people and it's relationships and it's growth and it's vulnerability. And I don't think tech can do that today. So I'll just, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. So for me, my, I'm going to be completely honest and extremely biased. The tool that I love is the one I created. <laughs> um, so for me, I, yeah, I was like, that's my favorite one, but it, it, it came about because I liked the ways that other people had put certain methodologies together. And so I insert them here and there, but, my tool is the the class tool. Um, so you know, having the C represent consciousness and conditioning, L the language, terminology, the meaning making that we're looking at, mm -hmm. A the actions taken or not, and the hesitations around that, and then strategy for the first S, and then the last S sustainability and looking at sustainability not as just okay we've reached it yay it's okay we've reached it what's the next innovation. Mm -hmm. Right. What's the next iteration of this? So looking at it, as a colleague of mine said, in a regenerative way, so regenerative sustainability. So that's that's a tool I like um, and it pretty much works so far with quite a few of the teams I've been working with um, and organizations that I've, I've been exposed to because it allows for the nuance. It allows for different 
you know, aspects of nuances to be integrated at different points in time and carried through mm -hmm. so that you recognize that this is not, you know, it's, it's not a us versus that I keep saying that it is a culture issue. Mm -hmm. It is the way that you're, you're organized around certain concepts, practices, what is your organizational design, right? So, um, yeah, my favorite tool is my tool. Sorry. <laughs> no shame in that. <laughs> Yeah. So as far as tools, like I think there are, there's tons of them, right? And there's tons of tech ones out there. I do use a couple of myself that I do enjoy. Some of them I've stolen from Mary. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell, <laughs> telling everybody that she gave them to me. Um, but there's a gender decoder, uh, which allows you to uh, scan for gendered language and job descriptions so that you can make them more gender inclusive. Um, Unbiasify, I really like because if you're recruiting or hiring manager looking through LinkedIn, you can turn that on and it removes the identifying information so that all you're left with is the experience of the person. So that helps reduce some of the bias that happens when you're looking at resumes or LinkedIn profiles that I think is important. Um, I think ATSs could do a lot better job about doing that as well. That's an own personal soapbox there. Um, what would be another tool that I super enjoy using? I think for tools to help people get their foot in the door, I really like some of the AI scanners for resumes so that you can get your resume through the ATS system and actually hopefully in front of a real human. So Jobalytics is a good um, Chrome plugin that works for that and jobscan.co and resumewarded.com are all good AI tools that I, I recommend to my clients for ways to help you get through that ATS system. Um, and then I'm going to shamelessly plug two of our sponsors. So we have Teamable, which is a recruiting software uh, that has tons of DEI reporting information in it. It's a hugely powerful tool. Uh, I love working with them, highly recommend. Uh, the other one is Office R&D, and their tool is to help offices be hybrid to make it more inclusive for people to be able to work. Um, and they are also a wonderful product. And then the last one is our partner company, Equalathons, and we host hackathons matching underrepresented tech talent with nonprofits who need tech built out. So if you're looking for experience and you want to change your portfolio, definitely join us for our Equalathon next month for Latinx. And then we have the Disruptors, which is a job board meant to place underrepresented tech talent. So if you are a leader and you need help with that, please reach out to me. If you're searching for a job, you're more than welcome to join as well. You can go to our website, which is on the page that you're all following. So in the last few minutes, I want to open it up to random questions. Does any of the panel have questions for one another or anybody in the audience have a pressing question they would like to ask of anybody on the panel? I don't have a question, but just one comment, because I know Mary had said, oh, I'm stealing this from you guys. And Alexandria, you're like, I'm stealing this from Mary. We can't gatekeep DEI. So this is all about sharing resources. And like you said, Alexandria, creating that ripple effect, mm -hmm. dropping that stone in. So really what we're seeing here is that ripple effect. So I love this conversation and I hope we can have more to create those ripple effects. No, I appreciate that language call out. I am attempting to give credit. So maybe I just use that language, right? <laughs> I mean, it's okay too. Cause I mean, we want to recognize, we want to ask permission before we take things. Um, cause we don't want to just, you know, take other people's tools and, and profit off of them. So there is a fine line, but, but yeah, that's just my mindset around this space is we can't gatekeep. We are letting everyone in as imperfect as they are, as whether you're ready for this work or, or not, we're inviting you into this space. So 100% Natalie. So one thing we talked a lot about, and I don't think we gave any action around is mm -hmm. there's this self-work. And I know we talked to a few of us about some books or reading, but do we have any recommendations? This is an amazing group, right? So I'll mention this and, and maybe it kind of sparks you uh, your mind, but action through, right? How are you showing up differently? How are you changing your mindset? You know, this angel investment group I run, women are writing checks for the first time and they're showing up differently. They're building skills. They're they're getting access to new things. I mean, that's an action oriented thing that they can do. You all play in these you know, brilliant spaces around DEI. What can people do, whether it's the the employee? Um, maybe it's not, you know, the 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 high level executive you know, individual. What can individuals do to say, I want to build these skills? I want to show up differently. I want to change in mindset. I want to be more confident. 
and they're not getting that from their office? Is it a certain way, you know, they should work with a coach or there's a, a set of questions or things that they can suggest? I'm posing that because I, I'm curious and I wish I had that earlier in my career when I was the only woman doing many things. <laughs> absolutely. I think yeah. we all have tools that we could get for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, I really do think it's, again, if you're interested and or you're curious, and I know some people are curious, but also fearful, right? Mm -hmm. There's also that, like, I want to learn, but I don't want to ask it in a way that's going to probably be offensive. Get out of your head and just ask the question. <laughs> ask the question, reach out to folks. Um, you know, get, yes, I would highly recommend um, the doing the readings of stuff that you see on suggested lists about um, disruptive work, conscious movements, and get a coach. Get someone who, who can host circles so that you can learn from other people at the same time, not necessarily just one-on-one -on -one coaching, but you know, depending on your flavor, then go for it. But yes, there's so many coaches in this space that can help companies, help individuals, help teams, et cetera, on and on and on. Um, to navigate stuff. So I would highly recommend, you know, doing the reading, asking the questions, um, popping on certain networks. Do you know a coach in this space or, or an organization that's advocating for this type of work that I could sit in on meetings and hear? Because there's, there are, there's so much, there's so much out there. So that would be my quick recommendation and suggestion there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My quick recommendation is just to listen. Mm -hmm. Spend some time in a really grounded listening space yeah. without yeah. getting attached, you know, with your ego, without <laughs> being afraid of what you're going to hear, but really as a leader going to your teams and saying, what are the barriers for career advancement here? Mm -hmm. I'm here to listen. And today we're not coming up with any solutions we're just going to get this whiteboard up and and the best follow-up question is tell me more. Yeah. No, not, not getting defensive, but what are the barriers? Tell me more. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's my one recommendation if you want a place to start. Yeah, I want to add on top of that to say, like, ask for feedback, like proactively ask for feedback, just generally on DEI specifically, uh, people, it, people respond better to you asking them for feedback on specific things, but like ask for feedback. Um, that's something that's, especially as a leader, but as anyone who's trying to work in the DEI space is the most critical thing so that you can like learn something new, adjust, et cetera. I can't remember, maybe it was Natalie that said this earlier, maybe it was Justin, I can't remember, but someone said like going on, like there's there's people on TikTok, there's, there's like people who are creating new content. I sort of see it as like a pyramid of like, there's some really great base foundational books. Um, like, so you want to talk about race or there's, there's several other books out there that are like foundational. And then there's like, cool. Then there's like new creators that are putting things out there all the time that can often add on top of that. And then there's like, get the feedback from, from everyone, every, from anyone you can every day on how to improve. But I love what Jesley said about like, listen, like, listen, try not to attach. I think Carrie Ann was mentioning like people get worried about like feeling silly or asking the wrong questions or like get too attached to like, oh, what does this mean about me? Try to detach from that and be open and listen. Mm -hmm. I think I would just say that um, having a community is really supportive. So look for your community, look for your people within your org, um, know those safe places, know those safe people and people who are willing to um, support you in your journey and uh, do the work right? Uh, that's consent, though. You don't just, like, put yourself, <laughs> put your emotional burden on others. But if they consent to it, then, then it's all good. So so look for your community and, and your safe spaces. Absolutely. Yeah. I would second all, second, third, I don't know, plus up all of those things. <laughs> uh, I would say that one of the, like, very, like, small, actionable, like, first steps in a lot of this process, especially if you're new to it, is checking your bias. Like first, again, remove your ego from it. The ego is awful. It's nasty. It's it's rude. <laughs> like it doesn't have a lot of nice things to say. So just remove the ego from it and 
listen, right? So check your stories, go out in public and start interacting with people and notice how often you make an assumption about somebody because that you just saw them or how you, you think you know something about somebody and check, is that true? How, how do I know that? What is my evidence that I know this thing? And just start noticing how bias shows up because it does all the time. Humans are generalizers. That's how we've gotten to this place that we've gotten. And it's good when we don't have to relearn how to open a door every day. It's not good when we apply it to people and we make assumptions and stereotypes. So just starting by noticing how many stories that we have all the time about the people around us and our opportunity to check in with those stories. Like, hey, I have a story that this might be true. Is it? And ask the question. All right. It was so lovely talking to all of you. Audience, I'm so glad that you were here with us today. I hope you found this valuable. Uh, Jasleen and I will be doing lives with different people each week. So make sure that you watch out for all of our invitations. Um, we are going to continue all these conversations. It'll be about the future of work and how it's now and what we need to do to prepare for what's coming. So thank you, ladies. I really appreciate all of your input. And we will talk again soon. Thank you. That concludes today's episode. If you want to help us disrupt the tech industry to increase the representation of diverse talent, please register and subscribe at our website, jobdisruptors.com. Also, please subscribe and leave a review for the podcast and share with DEI champions and diverse talent alike. Here's to disrupting.